0: I'm Mary Ann Hitt, and this is The Land I Trust, stories from the American South about dirty coal, clean energy, and everything in between. In this episode, water. From the endangered rivers of West Virginia to the polluted tap water of Goldsboro, North Carolina, to the warming Alabama Bayou, we'll hear how water sustains, threatens, and unites. Let's start at the birthplace. I'm Kelsey Beveridge.
1: Uh, Raised in Pocahontas County, we are the birthplace of rivers. That is the
0: nickname of Pocahontas County. Kelsey Beverage grew up playing the banjo and swimming in this stream here in Pocahontas County.
1: So in the summers, we always would beg to go swimming and there's no swimming pools around here. And this was our designated swimming hole. We would help pick beans and then once mom had enough baskets filled she'd bring them down here and she would snap beans while we swam in the creek. She'd hang
0: out on the bridge and we'd play in the water. We should note that Pocahontas County is not the original homeland of the 14-year-old poetin girl it's named for. It is the homeland for many other native peoples and also home to farming families like Kelsey's that go back many generations.
1: I grew up in a farmhouse built in the early 1800s. My family is very much from Pocahontas County. I live on Beverage Road, actually.
0: Three generations of beverages still live here, a mile or so up the road from this river. It's a cattle farm.
1: We have chickens. People that don't that have never been here, they know, they don't understand it. Like when you say there's no cell phone service, and when you say that you had an hour and a half bus ride to school, they just look at you like you're crazy and they don't believe you. <laughs> and I remember the first couple times I would bring friends home from college especially and they'd walk into my house and I'd be like, oh my gosh, like you are in the middle of nowhere, but it's so pretty. <laughs> and then we'd take them down and like show them the, the food seller of all the canned food that like mom and I and my sister worked on all season. And they're like, oh my gosh, like, are you preppers? <laughs> no, we're just raised like this. Like, we just were raised in the middle of nowhere, two hours from any store.
0: So you become pretty self-sufficient. West Virginia has a long history with oil and gas companies extracting and exploiting the natural, rugged beauty of this land. But this county wasn't rich in coal like other parts of the state. So it's remained relatively untouched until the Atlantic Coast Pipeline, which is set to cut through the heart of this region, including the Beverage property. It comes within
1: 3,000 yards of three of our best-producing springs. The springs that provide water to my parents' house, to my grandparents' house, to my aunt and uncle's house, and to all of the livestock on our property. I mean, that would, that would literally kill my family. Like, they wouldn't have any water in their houses. The livestock wouldn't have any water. That's our livelihood.
0: Up at the family farm, Kelsey's dad points at the hill just beyond the old farmhouse and the sugar shack where the family makes syrup every spring. It's right there on that ridge.
2: Where's is that? it on on this right slope of behind, the ridge? Right there behind that target.
3: That's where the pipeline is, 320 yards. Right down that ridge.
1: That's worse than I thought. I thought well, it was further. it been up there if everybody kept her damn mouth shut.
3: We oh, didn't us.
0: He won't oppose the pipeline publicly like his daughter, but he's still not happy about it. No, I don't know what else to tell you.
3: <laughs> that's what's going to happen.
0: Right now, there's nobody in this country but us. Now we'll be plagued with them run that gas line from now
3: on. And we don't want that either. Because our farm right here, I mean, we've got 500 acres. And if we lose our spring water, even worth a damn to nobody. You can't run cattle because everything we've got here is spring water. So, and if something happens, that sink sinking, that's the end of it. So, but we ain't going to stop it. So...
0: Some people here, mostly older folks, have become resigned to years of abuse, manipulation, and exploitation by big energy companies. But there is still a fierce protectiveness, something Kelsey can't quite reconcile.
1: I think because it is such a close-knit community, some people have just intentionally avoided some of the conversation. Like my dad, he was like, I'm not getting into it, and I'm just going to stay out of this one. It hurts my feelings that a lot of these people have just lost connections to the property. Like, there's a story that my papa used to tell about my great-granddad. He was a really good shot, my great-granddad was. And there was this guy walking up the driveway one day, and they didn't know why he was there, didn't know who he was, didn't want him there, and he was wearing, like, a bowler hat. Well, my granddaddy Earl shot the hat off of his head. He said, get out. You are not welcome here. I don't know who you are. Get off my property. And that's just a sense of, like, this is mine, this is not yours, and you're not taking it from me. I don't know who you are, but you're not, you don't, you're not welcome here. And now it's like, oh, yeah, sure, you want to put a pipeline through the middle of my property? Here you go, you're, come on in. And it's like, what happened? You used to shoot people that walked on your property. Now you're welcome, welcoming them. In your right mind, why do you think a pipeline should be piped through the birthplace of rivers? It just doesn't make sense.
0: From some of the purest water in the country to some of the dirtiest, Wayne County, North Carolina. Here, Duke Energy has been dumping the waste from their coal plants into coal ash ponds for years. The ponds are little more than holes in the ground, some with no barrier between dirt and contaminated water. As the ponds leak, the toxins spread and people get sick, really sick. Johnny Gurley lives in this community and has been deeply affected by these coal ash ponds.
2: I'm Johnny Gurley. Uh, I'm from Rosewood, next to Goldsboro. My family, they did live here. I had uh, three uncles and one aunt. I miss one of my uncles because my parents was dead, and I, I basically took him on as a parent, I guess you might say me and him and his wife and my wife we love to dance so we go to these senior dances country rock and roll but you know i just fit in with this society i yeah you couldn't get me out of north carolina but they're doing a good job of trying to run me out now because uh these coal pits it's a big hole they've dug in the ground And as they burn it, they take the coal ash and come and dump it in the pits. Well, then when it rains, it floods. Then the coal ash and the constituents of it goes everywhere. It's uh, contaminated our water. And uh, up until January of this year, uh, we were using the water for everything, bath, drinking, cooking, whatever. I used to make tea with it, with this water, and I love tea. And I can imagine what the inside of me looks like. I've had uh, three heart attacks and uh, nine stents and diabetes. And uh, all of this, they say, well, we're not uh, responsible for, (laughs) That's Duke said. It's amazing to me that these billionaires can't get enough money that they can do people right. They could care less whether you live or die as long as they got that almighty dollar in their back pocket. I'm not happy with any of the way that they're treating people. I've lived in trailers all my life, just about. So I'm trailer park trash. That's the way they always looked at me, they always have. But guess what? <laughs> I do about what I want to, go about where I want to, and so you're killing me the slow way. Instead of taking a gun and saying, we're tired of you poor people, they're just doing it with water, and we're supposed to sit back and take it, you know, be a good little kid. No, I'm tired of it. I'm 70 years old now. I got youngins and grand youngins that's living in this state, and as long as I can, I'm going to be fighting to try to get it better. I might not can succeed, and in fact, I doubt I will, but I'm trying.
0: Further south on the bayous of Alabama, the 230-year-old fishing community of Bayou Batre is reckoning with warming oceans.
3: You can't have all these people in the world without having an impact on the environment. And to to go blindly and say, no, we didn't do that. Yes, we did. We are burning coal, and, and, and so, yeah it has a direct impact. I'm Mayor Terry Downey, Balibactory. Elected last November. I took the oath last November the seventh. So this I've been in a full year.
0: Mayor Terry Downey is only a year into the job, but he grew up here in town and he knows how important fishing is to the economy.
3: Well fishing in general shrimping and arson, if you just say you know put a blanket over all the fishing. It's a, it's a it's our mainstay. I mean we we build boats here and that it creates jobs. And we've got a lot of craftsmen in town and people come from outside. But the seafood industry, we're the seafood capital of Alabama.
0: If it were to go away, it would change everything. But that's just what might happen.
3: When I come up, well, not up to not too many years ago, a kid could go to, go to an oyster shop, open oysters before or after school, or uh, even a... a A married man trying to support his family, could open oysters or catch oysters. You could go gig flounders, you could go, you could just do anything on the water to make money. And now, there's no oysters. You can't fish.
0: That's Rodney Lyons. His family has lived here in Bayou La Batre for generations. Today, he runs a seafood business on the shore.
3: Okay, they're uh, offloading a boat Taking the shrimp off the boat by size, putting it in a wash tank, and uh, getting the ice out. They run them up, weigh them in 100-pound lots, and then they're putting them in a a bulk vat for shipping to processing plants.
0: But before that, he was a fisherman.
3: Four months old, I made my first trip on a shrimp boat to Palacios, Texas. Of course, I don't remember it, but... uh, all my life, on a weekend or a holiday, my father was on the water. If he went out fishing, or crabbing, or an oystering, we was with him. And all I've ever done is seafood. Obviously, I love it. <laughs> just what well, a solitude you out there. You're your own boss. No hassle. No telephone. When you go out that morning, you don't know if you're gonna make a living or not. It's all on you. It's on your shoulders. And when you come in at the end of the day and you made a day's work, you're proud of yourself, whether you know it or not. But you can't make a living out of it anymore. We're seeing a decline in squid, shrimp, flounders almost non-existent. Crabs are are just very, very scarce, and uh, there's scores of people getting infections. When we was coming up. We'd get a cut. The first thing our parents would do was take us. They'd say, we'll take you to the salt water. They would take us to where the salinity was, and it would heal us. That's what they said or thought, whatever. But now you get a cut and you get in that salt water, you liable to die. It's just infections. And uh, it's a whole lot hotter than it used to be, and we don't get as cold as it used to get. Everybody used to quit working in November, and they'd go oyster. But now, with a warmer climate, the shrimp are hanging in longer. They're not going out into the deeper water. So people's able to work longer. That's the upside of it. Now, whether it's good or bad, I don't know. For the seafood industry, the way I see it now, it's going to steadily decline People think that we're the enemy and we're destroying. They don't realize that a commercial fisherman's the greatest conservationist in the world, because that's the way we make our living. We're gonna take care of it.
0: Rodney, Kelsey, and Johnny, each in their own way is supporting the natural world that sustains them, their memories, livelihood, and culture. To hear more from the people in this episode and to hear other stories about moving from coal to clean energy, go to sc.org stories. To take action, you can check out the latest ways to make a difference at addup.org. If you're in North Carolina and concerned about coal ash, visit sc.org slash hike I'm Ann Hitt, and this is The Land I Trust.
2: Original music in this episode by Kelsey Beveridge and Komiku. Special thanks to Gil Willis, Caroline Hansley, Donna Chavis, Bill Price, Shane Levy, and Kirk Bowers. This episode was produced by Josephine Holtzman and Isaac Kestenbaum, with Jeff Shaw and Chelsea Watson.